What would you do with your life if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed, what would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of global Swedish design and inspiration brand Dream Life and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people like you to chase your own dream life, whatever that means for you. Many years ago, I wrote down a dream on paper that would one day bring Swedish design to the world and create beautiful, inspiring and meaningful products that would bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to leverage everything I've learned to help you dream big and to create a global movement to inspire 101 million people to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode will dive deep into the power of dreaming and share real insights and practical ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Hi there and welcome back to another episode. Today I have another super inspiring guest that I just cannot wait to share with you as I know you will find her as inspiring as I did. Nadine Champion is a martial artist with over 30 years experience. She's an undefeated fighter, professional speaker and motivational teacher with her own inspirational story. Nadine is dedicated to using the knowledge she has gained through martial arts as a metaphor for life to transform not only people's physical health, but the way they think and feel about themselves. Let's get right into this super inspiring episode. Welcome Nadine, I am so excited to have you on my podcast today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, thank you for coming on. The first question I have for you is a question that I ask all my guests, and that is, did you have a dream as a child, something you wanted to do or become or have? I absolutely did. The way that I explain it to people was I wanted to be the little lady karate kid, you know, from the movie. So I saw that film and I thought that would be the most amazing story if it was mine. Mm, and you did. So we'll talk more about that, no doubt. But that's really inspiring. Did you think that as a child that that was going to happen? Or do you, did you, because I'm assuming there wasn't a lot of girls doing that in, um, you know, a few years ago compared to perhaps what it is now? You're exactly right. So, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing to get into, especially because I'm sure my parents would have rather that I did ballet or something, <laughs> but it perfectly suited me. You know, it was something really physical and exciting and I loved, you know, even just seeing like the crisp white uniforms and I saw the the black belt on the instructor and that was just amazing to me. You, you can't really control what lights you up in some way. No, no, absolutely. So for people who don't know you, maybe just give us a little bit of a highlight um, of your journey so far and then we'll go into some specific things in, within that. Well, hi, everyone who doesn't know me yet. It's nice to meet you. I've been doing martial arts for 36 years. Um, you know, I've, I've done well competitively in that arena. So I've, you know, won different, uh, different accolades over the years. I moved over into kickboxing. So from a very light contact style to a full contact style, which was super scary. And it took me a long time to uh, even admit that I thought I might want to do that, mostly because of the inner voice that we have, you know, an inner critic and all of these very natural fears that we have. But it was a great vehicle for me to work through some of the mindset challenges I had. I had a very good Mr. Miyagi style teacher uh, who I'll tell you about today. But, you know, I had a life changing teacher and I've, I've spent 25 years learning from one of the world's best martial artists. And, you know, he was very supportive of, you know, women in martial arts, which isn't always the case, or women in getting into the kickboxing ring. So, you know, he was a, a great example of what's possible. And, uh, you know, I've devoted my life to the external training, but also primarily the internal training. So as, as I was thrown some big curveballs in life in the last 10 years, my focus really became the internal. And that's what I dedicate my life to now is, is sharing 
what we call internal training with people, which is working on your mindset, connecting your head and your heart together and using that to connect with other people. I love that. And since I heard of you, I have done lots of research and I, I got your book. So let's dive into how 10 Seconds of Courage, which is the title of your book, can change your life and perhaps a little bit how that changed your life. Well, we all have moments of hesitation. I've always talked to people about fear and courage and what holds you back and what motivates you and you know, from little kids right through to people that you would think would never hesitate, you know, very well-known people in sports or business or politics. And what I've found is we're all very human. We're all afraid of the same thing. So I went and looked at the academic research around what we're all afraid of. We can discuss that as well. <laughs> it's not just snakes and spiders, but one of the, the primary things that, that humans are all afraid of is something called ego death. That's what makes us hesitate. So it's that thing of if I, maybe Christina, I've always wanted to meet you and, and you're at a conference with me and I can see you're right there and I think, oh, I'm going to go and talk to her and I tell my friend beside me I'm going to go and introduce myself and then I go to walk over to you and you're talking to someone else and I get a bit nervous and that in that moment the ego death fear is if I walk up and stand there, you'll ignore me. If I introduce myself, you won't want to talk to me. And these aren't fears that we'd necessarily say out loud to people, but it's like that funny feeling in your stomach right before you're about to do something that is often that ego death. So it's fear of rejection, embarrassment, failure, you know, anything that's going to make us feel a bit funny, that's the thing that causes us to hesitate. So I've, I've done a lot of work on facing my own fears, big, small, you name it, helping other people work through theirs with mindset coaching and that led me to, you know, this concept is a central concept in my life, which is 10 seconds of courage. So that's something that my sensei, my teacher taught me. It's not about saying I'm going to be brave forever or I'm someone that everyone would think of as being brave. I asked a conference full of uh, police officers yesterday, actually, in Melbourne, 400 police officers. I said, how many of you would consider yourself as someone who has courage? Guess how many hands went up? I would hope all of them, but I would assume that it's quite the opposite, right? It's the opposite. Yeah. So it's, it's hard for people to think of themselves that way, to give themselves permission to label themselves as someone with courage. But I think that's a, a, a job, a role that requires a, a great amount of courage. You know, so it's, it's how we perceive ourselves, our own fears, our own courage. Um, people often perceive what I'd, I've done in my sporting career as, oh, you'd have to be brave. Like I would never get in the ring. I can't imagine ever fighting anyone. And I used to feel that way too. Uh, it's, not, it's not like I recommend people go and do this. It's something that you have to have a calling to do and a real desire to test yourself. It's mostly an internal test. But, um, you know, I, I've found that it was so important as a vehicle for me to go and face my fears, go and work through what hold me back. And I'm very glad that I did that because, you know, I was successful in my competitive career. People positioned me as someone who was brave in inverted commas. So now what I do in my speaking career is I pull back the curtain and I talk about what, was, what happens in your mind when you're in the dressing room about to walk out to a match because it's the same thing that happens for people when they're about to walk into a job interview when they're at home with their partner and they're about to say something that they know is maybe not going to be well received, when they have to do something with their kids that they know is going to be difficult. You know, the, our courage comes up all the time and there are really rational reasons why we step back from it, don't take action. We get stuck in our own mindset. We hesitate. We doubt ourselves. We have an inner critic. We have imposter syndrome. You name it. It's all very human. It's all very natural. So I put my hand up and go, people think I'm brave. Here's how it really felt. You know, I think that fear is the price of admission to courage. Mm. So the people that tend to come into my little community are people who, who really want something more out of life and have big dreams, but perhaps dreams that they don't believe that they can do it. So how does fear and courage work together because you're saying we can't really have courage without the fear so that's a really good way because we all have fear so then if we all then can work on our courage then that's a good way forward yeah I mean how brave is it if I go and do something that I'm not scared of that you think is scary yeah 
You know, like I'm not afraid of public speaking, but it's one of the top 10 fears. It's like snake spiders, public speaking. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. So many people rather die than <laughs> public speaking. Yeah. I didn't know I wasn't afraid of it until I was on stage at the Sydney Opera House doing a TEDx talk, which was my first ever public speaking event. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's two and a half thousand people. <laughs> I was scared going out there, but halfway through I realized, oh, I'm not afraid of this. Yeah. I thought I was, but then I found out the truth by facing it. This doesn't scare me. And probably because no one was going to punch me in the face while I was out there. <laughs> I've been through scarier things. So for me, it wasn't scary. So if I'm not afraid of it, like I wasn't afraid going and speaking to those police officers yesterday, even though I was told, listen, they're pretty full on. Like sometimes they, they warn me when I go and present. They didn't say this about the officers, but they said, oh, it'll be a tough crowd or you're really going to have to win them over. They're all alphas. They're very competitive. I'm not afraid. You know, I've been in some very tough, tough rooms with some very tough people. I'm not afraid to go and do that. So if I'm not afraid of it, am I really being brave? Am I using my courage? But I explained to the officers yesterday, I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid to go in the, in the ring and compete. I have natural healthy fear around it, but it's not something that I'm so afraid of I would avoid it. So if I don't have fear around that, what would make me afraid? So I was joking with them saying, if you asked me to come up on stage and do a, a very serious contemporary dance to represent how I feel about nature, <laughs> I would turn bright red and I would feel embarrassed and I'd feel frightened. You know, it's all about our comfort zone. And 10 seconds of courage is around taking the first 10 steps out of your comfort zone. Because if you don't take the first step, you can't take the last step, which will change the course of your life. So I used to think that courage was to be used at the moment of execution, when the pressure's on, when you walk in and shake hands and it's your job interview and you're, okay, I've got to be brave now. But this is the trick that I'm trying to convey to everyone. And I hope your listeners with their own dreams can hear this. It's not so much being brave at the moment that you're doing the scary thing. The real moment you have to use your courage starts at the very beginning. It's making the decision. It's having a conversation with yourself where your natural fear and doubt comes in. And then deciding, you know what, I'm just going to make the call right now. And then you dial the phone and you've started. It's stopping ourselves from hesitating. So I use the example of being in the dressing room before a match. And it's so natural to want to stay in the dressing room. The dressing room is our comfort zone. We all love our comfort zone. Why wouldn't you want to stay in there? Especially if you know that what's waiting for you outside might be painful, scary, or what I call the unequivocal truth. So that's why I went and competed. I wanted to know my truth, good, bad, and ugly. I wanted to know who am I? What am I made of? What can I handle? How far can I take this? Who could I become? Will my dreams come true? And it's so scary that maybe they won't, that that's what makes us hesitate and stay in our comfort zone. I'm so afraid of my heart being broken. If my dream doesn't come true, I think I'm going to stay in here. But then we miss out on life. Yeah, love that. Love that. I always say that there's kind of two buckets, one where, you know, you have all the dreams and it's so exciting, but it's uncomfortable because you don't know how to do it or if you can actually make it happen. And then you have the other one where you stay where you are and you don't take any actions and you just at the end of your life, you regret it. And I much rather be in the one where you you feel uncomfortable starting and not knowing versus having regrets at the end of your life. Because life, regardless how long we get to live, I feel like life is short. So we just wanted to start taking actions. And also one thing that I, I learned with public speaking, because a lot of people <laughs> are really worried about public speaking. And and I, I, I was terrified when I started. But the only way of learning how to do public speaking, in my experience, is to do it. Like that you can read about it, you can learn about it, and you can ask a million questions, which is all, they're all great. But in the end, action is really what makes makes all the difference. Absolutely. And that's where I believe the 10 seconds of courage comes in. It's not about, you know, I'm going to take action on everything that I've ever dreamt about right now. Ta-da! You know, if only it were that easy. It's about taking the first little piece of action. Just 10 seconds worth of courage. We have 86,400 seconds every day. All I'm asking for is 10. But you can hesitate for about 86,399 of those seconds, which is natural. So it's realizing that. But I love what you said before about, you know, regrets. Have you heard of the book Five Regrets of the Dying? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. I had a feeling you would have. 
So, you know, I love that two of the things that she talks about are about courage. The first one is I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. Yeah. Not the life others expected of me. And the third one is I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom in that. If you haven't heard of her, she was a palliative care nurse and she really paid attention to the messages that people were sharing with her. I look for teachers. You know, I'm a martial arts teacher, but I look for good teachers in all different um, elements of life. And I think there's a real wisdom in that, you know, to use your courage to live the life that you want to live and to express how you really feel about things, which is it can be scary. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to recognize that. And for me, you know, part of what happened in the last 10 years was a really unexpected cancer diagnosis. So I was uh, in my 30s and I, I found out I had Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, and that changed the course of my life. So that's when I really started to think strongly about what courage and fear meant because I had a lot more experience with both. And coming out of it, it became incredibly important to me to not have regrets, to not hesitate so much and to help other people do the same. Yeah. I think I heard you say or read in the book that the challenging times makes us weak at this very moment, but it makes us stronger in the long run. And I can so relate to that on lots of different things, but especially when I lost my business, which was for me like a family. So it was just um, um, because I started it just me and then grew it to what I felt like was like the beautiful family. And I then turned that around to do that in my new dream life business, which is I love so much but how did you use your really challenging times and you just was not just you also lost your brother just before and I can't even imagine how that time was for you uh, and then being diagnosed your own so how do you how did you get through that oh by the skin of my teeth yeah (laughs) you know it was yeah there were three really major things that happened in my life in two weeks and things where you just shake your head and think this can't be happening like this is too much and, you know, it really rocked me if I'm honest and I talk to people really openly about that now. I think it's a really important time these days when there's so much of a conversation around mental health, um, you know, to let people know like you can be positioned in the world like I was. People always used to say to me, you're a strong woman, you know, and they would position me this way. But the problem was when I was brought to my knees, like you mentioned before, when I was weakened by life circumstances, as I think everyone has been at some stage in their lives, I had to work on getting back up and being resilient. So I point to the work of Brene Brown. I don't know if you've seen her wonderful TED Talk, Power of Vulnerability. Yeah. It's one of the top five in the world. I love it. You know, I point to her work around resilience and just recognizing in ourselves that it's the moments when things get really hard, where we feel not ourselves. We feel shaky. We feel rocked. We feel like we don't have necessarily the strength or the resources to get through things those are the exact moments that we're becoming more resilient it just feels like the opposite when it's happening so if you think back on the hardest things that you've been through and your listeners as well I'm sure you can picture the moment and how awful it felt but then afterwards you look back on it and you think wow I got through that you know I did survive it and the smart ones will go what did it teach me what lesson did I learn how am I going to change now I don't want to make the same mistakes again. Can I get better? Can I use this to grow and become stronger? Mm. Another thing that is very common in my community is self-doubt when it comes to living their dream life. So doubting yourself, being able to do something that you haven't done before, which is to me really natural because if you haven't done it before, of course you're doubting if you can do it. But I haven't seen a, a dream yet that I don't think is possible. And I truly believe I can do anything. Now, you can't do everything, but you can definitely, if you put your mind to to something you're really passionate about, you can do it. So how did you deal with self-doubt? Because I can only imagine in, in martial arts how much you would have had that because you would have seen people perform above you the whole time and wondering if you can ever get there. I came from a touch contact martial arts background where I was doing very well competitively. And I think a lot of people have that as their comfort zone where they've set their life up. Maybe they're in the career they want. They have the family or the, you know, the, the life situation, the friends, the puppy dog that they want. And it's so easy to stay in that situation. I used to look at the people in the kickboxing ring and think I would never do that. 
that's crazy. That looks like it hurts. <laughs> I wear glasses. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I used to just self-exclude without even vocalizing it, verbalizing it. I had already self-excluded. And I think people do this a lot. And I try to catch them when they're doing it because we self-exclude from so many things in life with ever really considering if we could do it. You know, we don't necessarily lay it out on the table and think, well, you know, when you're even if you're working in a company where you say, well, I'm, I'm quite comfortable here, I'd be willing to go one level up, but beyond that, no, that's not for me. If you actually articulated that, you might hear a very different version from other people about what you're capable of. We self-exclude. We put a ceiling on top of ourselves a lot of the time. You know, a way that I explain it in a, in a silly way, a fun way, is to say if you were newly single and you were at a big party and, you know, all of a sudden Brad Pitt or Giselle Bunchen or whoever is like a Hadid or a Harry Styles or whoever it is for you walked in, would you go and talk to them or would you go and talk to the person smiling at you who's a metre away, who looks non-threatening, who looks like someone that wouldn't be too far out of your comfort zone? How big a swing are you willing to take in life? The reason I, I use that example is my brother who passed um, John, he was married to a Miss Universe and she told us that no one ever used to ask her out. And I was shocked. What do you mean? She's beautiful. She has a, an accolade that says she's definitely beautiful. No one ever used to ask her out. I think that speaks volumes mm. about how we operate as humans. You know, we see someone that we think without even necessarily consciously realizing it, perhaps we just decide, oh, they would never be interested in me. Or you maybe think that you're the business, you think you're amazing when it comes to all of these people over here, but then you see someone who, who is intimidating to you for whatever reason and you think, oh, no, I'll just stay over here where I'm comfortable. So we self-exclude from so many things. And for me, I self-excluded from ever thinking I could do kickboxing, but I had a little voice in the back of my mind and I wonder how many of, of your listeners have this voice too where I was thinking I'm pretty comfortable here, like I'm doing well here but I wonder if I could maybe do that thing over there. No, I don't think that's for me. That looks too hard. Maybe, but maybe I could, I wonder. So I started having this dream develop and it's a very quiet voice in the back of your mind that I believe often gets drowned out by the loud, shouty, self-doubt voice, the inner critic that's on a loudspeaker and the other voice is just speaking to you quietly like a friend. The other voice yells, so it drowns it out and Eventually, I started to really wonder. I would see the title belts that my friends had, that Sensei Benny had, and I started to have this dream, and I started to face my fear and, and challenge myself and learn something new. And eventually, I went and competed, and I won my own title belts. And a lot of it, I found, was based from what Sensei Benny taught me was the definition of self-confidence. He said, it's knowing I can do it, even though I've never done it before. Now, let me point out the word knowing. We talk about having a knowing, a gut feeling, an inner belief system that's very grounded. It's not cross your fingers and hope you can do it even though you've never done it before. It's knowing and that's around creating a belief in yourself internally before you ever take any action. It's, it's making a decision. And the way that I, I bring that into reality for people, I, I challenge them with it, is when I, I go and speak professionally now. I'm known as a martial artist. In my TEDx talk that launched my speaking career by accident, you know, I did a, a board breaking, a martial arts wooden board breaking demonstration as an example of the mindset concepts I'd shared because I knew from experience a mindset tool is like a hammer sitting on a table. If you don't use it, it's a paperweight. It's not worth anything. It has no value. So these things have to be used. So I presented a, a number of mindset tools and then I let everybody know that if you don't use it, it's, it's a waste of energy. <laughs> you know. So I used it and now when I go and present, it's not about me, it's about the people that I'm, I've come to give a gift to. The, my hope, my dream is that they'll use their courage in whatever way is most relevant to them, most valuable to them in the moment. So I give them an opportunity to break a board. And I just had a lady yesterday at the conference. I handed her the board. I hopped down in the audience. I freak everybody out, making them think <laughs> I'm going to pick them because then they're mentally, emotionally and having a physiological reaction to this idea of courage and fear. So it's all nice when I'm up on the stage talking about the research on fear and presenting this idea of 10 seconds of courage everything changes. It's like the needle scratching a record. <laughs> everything changes when I jump off the stage and I'm out in the audience 
about to pick someone. They break eye contact with me. They don't want to look at me anymore. They look straight ahead when I walk by. That's the the literal physically recognisable response to how we all feel on the inside. I don't feel comfortable right now. I'm not sure if I can do that. Like you said, Christina, I have doubt. I have doubt about myself and what I can do. Maybe I can do this, but if you ask me to do that, I don't know. I've never done it before. But for someone in the room, and this is what I, I said to them yesterday, you know, someone in the room woke up not knowing what they're truly capable of. We're all capable of more. How much more? Maybe just a little bit, one millimeter more for something that, that matters to you. So when I handed the lady the board who put her hand up, it was very interesting. Only a couple of people put their hands up in that big room of scary people. I handed the board and I said, can you break the board? And she said, I'm not sure, but I'm going to try. And that's our doubt speaking. It's very natural human, no judgment on her response because it's a very common response. I'll give it a go. I'll try. I don't know. That's our doubt speaking to us. And I don't let them come up on stage with me until they've made a decision, a wholehearted decision about what their reality is going to be when they try. In other words, decide that you can do it before you start to take action. Leave your doubt in your seat. Come up on stage with me and we're going to live out your belief system, your knowing, not live out your doubt. Because when people go to break the board, if they're taking a wind up and going, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And the last thing they think is, I don't know if I can do it. They'll act it out and they'll literally pull back when they hit the board because they're afraid. What are they afraid of? That it's going to hurt, that I'm not going to be able to do it, et cetera, et cetera. So they then make that come true without realizing it's just their thought process. If you have full belief that you can do it, even if you're wrong, you're going to go at it like you can do it. You're going to act that out physically. It's the same as if you bring the energy into a job interview of, I'm not sure if I'm qualified. I'm not sure if I can get the job. And unfortunately, women do this more than men. You know, the statistics on how many of the criteria women need to tick off to feel comfortable, it's almost 100% before they'll apply. And I think men, it's around 60% something wild. I've got to check the statistics again, but there's a real difference there, which is along gender divide, unfortunately. So if I believe I can do it and I walk into that interview, believing that you're going to give me the job, my energy is completely different. If I walk in really unsure, my energy is completely different. And I talk about energy because that's so much of what we're reading in the ring. Have you ever seen the face off that they do? They make them stand there and stare at each other before the match starts. (laughs) Yeah. It's a weird thing, but, you know, the idea is you're looking at that person, you're feeling their energy. You're not talking to each other, so there's nothing verbal. You're not touching each other. There's nothing physical. You're connecting energy with someone, and that's what makes it really fascinating. So for me, it's not so much the external combat contact part of it. The fascinating thing was looking at someone's mindset, their strategy, looking at their energy, and then the way that champions are made is with heart. So seeing how much heart this person has and how much heart I had, that was what was fascinating to me about it. When I started to read your book and I listened to some of the podcasts you've already been on, etc., I never really had a thought of doing a TEDx talk. Like I, it just really never crossed my mind that I that I should. So I added that to my dream now. <laughs> I don't know anything about how you go about it, but anyway, I'll, we'll I'll ask you. We'll ask you. <laughs> but it was, it's amazing. And, you know, the way I have developed my mindset over over the years is is instead of thinking, having doubt, I always think if someone has done what I'm about to do before, if he or she can do it, so can I. And I might not know how yet, but that's that's the kind of way I do it. And that's what I want everyone to really start thinking because if it's been done before, there there is a way. It's just that you might need to work out how that is. Like for me, then that's going to be how I'm going to deliver a TEDx. I have like a million ideas in one minute. So um, distraction is, is is difficult. So so just a thought when I, and it was actually on my run um, that I, I thought when I was listening to you, I was like, maybe I should do it. And then I was like, oh, uh, you know, will I remember what to say? All those kind of things. But then I'm thinking, if you can do it, so can I. Absolutely. I had no experience. I tell people I hadn't done any public speaking since Year 7 English with Mr. Gillette. <laughs> like, I had no experience, but, you know, sometimes opportunity arrives at the least ideal moment in life and it's natural to create 57 reasons why you can't do it or why now's not the right time or et cetera, et cetera. I love what you said about, you know, identifying someone who's done it before. That's the exact same strategy that I used to get in the ring. 
I looked at people who'd done it before and I have a, um, a free courage checklist on my website, nadinechampion.com forward slash resources, where it's a list of 10 things. If you're thinking about using your courage, have you ticked off these 10 things? And it's just a, it's a gut check. It's a way of making a decision about if you're ready or not. And one of those things is exactly what you just said. Can I see that someone has done this before me? In other words, is it achievable? Which takes some of the fear away. It takes away some of that doubt. So it's almost like removing 10 little roadblocks from your mind. You know, that's how we create some of our confidence. Some of our courage is recognizing this is probably possible. Is that person that much better than me? Maybe. Could I learn something from them? That's why I mentioned Brene Brown before. I loved her TED Talk. So when I went to do mine, two of the sentences that I said were in an homage to Brene Brown. Like I respected the way she did it, but I also learned from the way she did it. What did I like about what she said? In my world, we call them heroes. Who's a teacher to me? Who's someone I like and respect? I'm not talking about hero worship. I'm talking about who's someone that I can see did it well. What can I take from the way that they did it well? And it's the same in martial arts technique. If you're really good at a particular thing, can you teach me exactly how you do it like that? I want to be like you. I want to do what you do. And a lot of people don't like that kind of language because it makes them feel like they're positioning themselves as less than. But there's a great deal of power in martial arts, but it has to be tempered with humility. Has to be tempered with humility. I always have to maintain, even though I've been a black belt for decades, I have to maintain a white belt mindset, a beginner's mind, being teachable, being open. And I love that about Sensei Benny. You know, he's considered a living legend. He's been a a master of martial arts for, he's 70 now. So he's been there for decades and decades. He's entitled to very high level honorific titles, but he won't let you call him Master Benny because he maintains very strongly that white belt mindset. So one of his favorite things to do is to be around other martial arts masters and ask them to teach him. Please teach me your favorite technique. Show me something that I may not have seen before. And he asked to be called sensei, not any of these higher titles, because he wants to stay humble. And I love that. I think that's such a great example. That's one of the reasons he's one of my heroes. Mm. I have a thing where if I want to do something new, so this could be anything from, you know, a dream to like a new habit or whatever. It's like, who who has done this before? Who can I learn from? And that's why I always like to surround myself with people like you who are doing extraordinary things. So I can just get a little bit of that energy uh, and put it into to my own life. Me too. I love to learn. And I, you know, I read a lot and so much of what I read is nonfiction. I want to hear about what you did. Not what you think I should do. What did you do? What worked for you? And that's my motivation in speaking now is not to tell anyone how to live their lives. It's just to arm them with some tools that if it makes sense to them, I'm trying to motivate them to use it because after my illness, instead of being sad about it, a couple of really key lessons, one of them I tell myself now, this is part of my belief system, my knowing, I'm wide awake, I'm paying attention you know, in a way that I basically life slapped me awake. (laughs) It shook me. I never want to lose that. I never want to go back into my comfort zone fully because it keeps me sharp. It keeps me switched on and very aware. And I realized recently, oh, I haven't had as much fun as I would like to. So I need to focus more on that because I started to forget. But the other thing I tell myself is there's no time to waste Mm. rather than, oh, life is short. I tell myself there's no time to waste. I, I think it's it's like reading a, a mystery novel, like you don't know what's going to happen at the end. I don't want to assume there's 100 pages left, not in a sad way, but in a way of I'm going to ask for the thing I really want instead of settling for what I'm being offered. Mm. I'm going to go for that, that I just recently got a really big piece of business that I was I took a giant swing at it. I thought, why not me? I'm, it's going to happen. And then it happened, you know, and I think part of that, It simply comes down, you mentioned before about speaking. I took this opportunity to do a talk that I wasn't qualified for, that I didn't have any cue cards and I still had short-term memory loss from the chemo. (laughs) You know, I was taking a chance. Um, You know, I had every reason in the world not to do it. I still was growing my hair back out. I didn't feel comfortable in my body. I didn't want thousands of people staring at me. But if you do nothing, nothing happens. You know, so I decided, why not? It came around by accident. One of my students just asked me really casually over a coffee, would you ever do a talk? And I was like, oh, I guess so. She didn't preface that question by saying, I'm on the organizing committee for TEDx Sydney. Would you consider being a speaker? 
because I probably would have at that moment in my life made excuses about why it wasn't the right time. But she could see something in me I couldn't see. So I ended up writing this talk about 10 seconds of courage and wanting to share my teacher with people who don't who don't have one because I've been doing a survey when I'm speaking the last seven years. How many of you have a mentor? And I would say, honestly, maybe 2% of people over the last seven years put their hand up. Yeah. So it's around who's in your corner, you know, who's teaching you, helping you grow, or are you going it alone? And unfortunately, so many people are. So that's why having a program, you know, like you have is so important so that people can be part of something. They can get people in their corner. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's how I kind of learned everything because I, like when I started my business, I had no idea about business, like didn't even know what English was my second language. So when someone said I had to create an invoice, I didn't actually know what that was. So that's how basic my business skills were. But I just always said, who has done this before? So because I was going into retail, I had like lots of coffees with people in retail. I didn't know much about finance. So then I I had a boss who was really wealthy and also really tight. So I thought he's perfect to learn from. (laughs) And uh, and so I just learned and, you know, I didn't take on every, like I I just went, had a coffee, took lots of notes and then I just work what what makes sense for me and because sometimes you get conflicting uh, advice but you just have to take it all on and then see what works for you and um, without mentors and without all the programs and courses that I've done over the years and all the books that I've read now I have a um, a book club called grow where we actually read a personal growth book every month and um, I have a personal one with my friends but I also have a, a virtual one that anyone can join and it's it's just so incredibly rewarding and and uh, every book um, I just learned something and I implement it and if it works great if it doesn't it doesn't really matter 100% I you know part of what I do with my own coaching clients is send them books and get them to read them uh, either individually or together because it's all about learning and how are you going to create your dream life if you can't see someone else who's done it or you don't know how to get there but you're not willing to learn even if you're starting like you said from here's how I do an invoice You know, I took one of our mutual friends uh, with me when I spoke a couple of days ago just to, you know, she's moving into the speaking world, just to lay out for her every little detail of what I do that's taken me seven years to learn. Mm, Love that. So the smallest little things, you know, that I want her to know so that she doesn't have to go through the process of learning it the way I did because I came into that world by accident. You know, I did my talk the next day. I got a call from uh, the head of a speaker's bureau saying, would you like to do that for a living? And I was like, is that a job? <laughs> I've never been to a conference before. I didn't even know that it was it was a profession. I had no idea and I had no idea whether I'd be any good at it. I didn't even know that was my dream until I did it. And I never would have put myself forward to do it unless someone else saw something in me and suggested it. So I just went with it. So part of my there's no time to waste is saying yes to things. Even if I feel unqualified, even if I don't know how to do it, I've never done it before is just putting myself out there, getting a little uncomfortable. And I could not have imagined, you know, the year before I did that TEDx talk was the worst year of my life after all of the things that had happened with my illness and trying to recover and rebuild. And you can't see over the fence, you know, you can't see what's coming next. So in that moment, it was probably the worst time for me to do the talk, but it's the exact right time for me to do the talk because I was really in a powerfully vulnerable place and that's what made that talk you know, apparently so memorable because by the end of it, I was getting a standing ovation with thousands of people and so many, I started crying because so many people were crying in front of me. It was really powerful. I think that that vulnerability was the thing that made, made people able to connect with it so much. And what I could not have seen over the fence was the next day, my life changed exponentially. What I've managed to do with the opportunity that I was given has I've shocked myself if I'm honest like it I'm like wow I got to write a book and I've got this whole new career which was the perfect career for me post illness I just could never have seen over the fence so if you do one little thing maybe that will be the start of other things that you haven't even planned you couldn't envisage but if you do nothing what happens Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love that because so many people, and perhaps, you know, A type personalities like me and perhaps you <laughs> are <A little>. you <laughs> know, <laughs> like to have a plan, like everything lined out and, you know, like ha- have it all perfect. And every time I, someone comes in with a new dream, I'm like, all we're going to start is doing some types, take some action because because 
the plan it never goes to plan I've, I've planned it so many times and it never goes to plan and sometimes the plan is so much worse than you even can imagine so by just what you did taking one action just completely changed you to so much bigger that you couldn't even have imagined and that's that's the that's the whole idea of just let's just get started there's a really great quote that I quote I think on every single podcast which is um, you don't have to be great to start but you actually have to start to be great it's a Sig Ziglar quote and um, I just think that that just sums it up in so many ways of just just start yeah, I mean, if you do something, something might happen. If you do nothing, you're more likely nothing will happen. Is that what you want? Yeah. You know, you mentioned planning before. I I was in a sport where if I didn't control my opponent, I was going to the hospital. If my strategy didn't work out, there would be consequences, not just my dream not coming true. So for me, I loved control. Even we have to weigh in at a certain weight in order to compete for a title. You have to control your food, your, your training, your this, your that. So many things really appealed to that part of me that wanted a plan, wanted a strategy, wanted to execute it perfectly. But that also came at a price because if I competed and I got more than like a tiny bruise, I was hard on myself. So I would have less fun because I I didn't realize it so much at the time, but I wanted to go and compete and win instantly with my opponent never laying a finger on me which is not realistic but they were the kind of you know the the kind of unspoken expectations I had on myself so I found out when I got sick that you can't control some things and I found that really scary and really hard which I think a lot of people have experienced in the last few years a very significant loss of control so I found it really challenging but I'm so glad that that part of me was broken because I realized I can't control things. So I got to exhale. (laughs) I kind of took my hands off it and stopped trying to steer the wheel so hard. I went, you know what? I can't control how things are going to go. And I have to learn to be okay with that. And that doesn't mean I'm just ambivalent. It means that I'm more relaxed about it, more fluid with it. And I have more space to be myself. And just to bring it back to the, you know, the speaking opportunity and your TED talk that you're going to do, <laughs> you know, the thing that I I was told so clearly, and I think this is such an interesting way of looking at business and life. I was told not to become a professional speaker. So when I got that call the next day, offering me this amazing opportunity, they said, hey, the thing that you did, just do that. Don't go and get any coaching. Don't become in inverted commas a professional speaker. Just be someone who speaks for a living be you, do not change what you just did. So even when I went and read the TEDx people, my draft speech, I was wearing, oddly enough, the t-shirt I'm wearing right now, a black V-neck t-shirt and some, you know, high top sneakers. And they said, listen, on the day, can you just wear that? And I said, aren't I meant to wear like a suit? Like it's a proper grown up event. Aren't I meant to dress up? And they went, no, just, just wear what you're wearing. I think that'll be more authentic. So I trusted them and I did. Before I walked out, I was standing behind the giant curtain at the opera house and they said, listen, if you cry, just just cry, don't cover your tears. And I'm looking at them like, what? Why would I cry? I'm not going to cry. <laughs> and they also said, listen, if you get a standing ovation, just stand on the stage because they knew I had no idea what I was doing. I would have just walked off the stage and they went, no, 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 just accept the applause. And I'm looking at them going, oh, no pressure. You think I'm going to get a standing ovation? So they knew exactly what was about to happen for me. Aww. I had no idea. So I was like a lamb to the slaughter. But, you know, it's amazing to see they weren't trying to set it up. They could just see because they they could see me more clearly than I could see me. Why? Because I was in a, a challenging time in life. So I think the messaging I took from that was just really be yourself, be your authentic self, because I don't want to succeed if I'm having to fake it. Life's too short for that kind of thing where you you build this you know, this glass house around yourself where I'm successful, but, you know, I'm overworking and missing my little kids growing up. I'm successful, but I can never say what I really believe, or I can never challenge that person on what they just said that I don't agree with, or I think is disrespectful or crosses boundaries. I think we have to be so careful in what we create for ourselves. And it takes courage to be your, your authentic, genuine self. It took courage for me to walk out on that stage without armor on. That was the first time I'd ever publicly not had armor on where I talked about how I really felt in the dressing room. Because when I walked out to the ring, you would never know I had any fear or doubt. I was bulletproof in that moment. But the truth under the truth, which is, you know, the truth we might be willing to tell those we trust, the truth under the truth, 
it's hard to even tell ourselves. So I now I just pull back the curtain and let people know this is how it really feels, but this is how it looks on the outside. Do you feel how I feel? And that's what ha- that's why people were crying at TEDx because they did feel how I felt. And I think the same happens now. We just all need to be ourselves, even though it's scary, even though, you know, there's that risk that people won't like us or they won't like our, they won't follow our business because, you know, it's not their cup of tea. But I would rather do that in whatever time I have left on this earth. I would rather be my genuine self and relinquish control than create a glass house around myself. Mm. Love, love, love that. Could not agree more. I wanted to uh, just shift gear a little bit now just for a couple of shorter questions, and that is have you got a morning routine? Oh, I do. (laughs) I love my morning routine. I've been doing it for decades. We call it the Daily Five. It's a morning mental setup. So Sensei Benny taught me years and years ago that the first thing that comes out of your mouth should be thank you. So you're starting your day with gratitude. I did that for decades before I got sick. After I got sick, now I understand really what it's about. Thank you. I got to open my eyes today. Thank you. I can breathe. I've got a body that moves around. I don't have to go to the hospital. Thank you. Let alone all the other great things in life to be grateful for. So first one's gratitude. Second one is asking for courage. I want to be brave today. You know, I want to do a little something outside my comfort zone. So I use my 10 seconds of courage all the time all the time. And even oddly enough, the way that you found out about me, you mentioned you saw um, Janine Alice from Boost Juice put a post up on the internet about me being a good speaker. She was complimenting me after I spoke at her conference and I, thank you so much. Great to meet you. I walked away and I went into the dressing room and I went 10 seconds of courage. I turned around, I walked back out and I said, Hey Janine, um, everything that, and I never do this just so you know, but everything you just said to me, is there any way you could maybe share that with your peers that you might think I'd be a good fit for their conferences and she said how about I do you one better and I put it on LinkedIn I put it on Instagram I said thank you so much that would be amazing and then I let her know my intentions which is number five on my daily five in my morning setup I said to her I really don't ask people for this kind of thing but where I'm coming from everything I do now is to make the best life I can in the time that I have left for myself and my family and she connected with that straight away. And I was like, great. So that's what, just so you know, that's why I was asking. Um, you know, and she did. She put, she has half a million followers on LinkedIn. I didn't know that when I asked her, but it was very kind of her. And now it's brought me to this opportunity with you today. So I could have stayed in the dressing room and not gone out there and risked her saying no. But then you miss opportunities. If you do nothing, nothing happens. If you go out there and you're a little cheeky and you go, hey, why not? Something might happen. So first one, gratitude. Second one, courage. Third one is forgiveness forgiving yourself, forgiving other people. Why? So that you're not dragging a bag of rocks behind you every day. It's exhausting. So learning to forgive, that tends to be the most challenging one for people. It was the most challenging for me, but I'm very glad I learned it. Daily practice makes it easier. Number four is clear sight. So I asked for clear sight. I asked to see the good in me and in others because our our brains have a negative bias and they have a confirmation bias. So if you you don't feel great, you're going to look for the not great. Your brain's going to attach to the not great. So I asked to see things clearly and then I asked to have good intentions, which is um, to heal instead of harm in my day. So it really sets me up. And I've found over the decades I've been doing this that the answers to most of my questions in life are in that five. Mm, Thank you for sharing. Our listeners will love that. Another question that I have is one that is really difficult because it's almost like naming your favorite child. So it's a difficult one, but... Have you got a favorite book or a book that or two that had a big impact on your life? I do. You know, I'm known for talking about fear and courage, obviously. So one of the books that I love and I love reading, so this is hard for me, um, there's a great book called The Gift of Fear. So if you want to learn a bit more about fear and how that shows up in our lives by Gavin De Becker, he became well known as like a Hollywood bodyguard type, which is something that I used to do for a living. The story that really stuck with me from that is around women being taught to be polite over recognizing their own fear in a situation and speaking up and the impact that that has. So he's got some pretty full on stories in there, but it really made me think about where did this social conditioning come from? Why do we have to be polite instead of having boundaries? You know, and I I still see that play out so much for people, even in their, their corporate roles, you know, how can I learn to say no when I'm already overtaxed? So I found that book really interesting. 
I do love to read, though. I learn a lot from Brene Brown's books, um, so much about resilience and about our inner strength. And I love Elizabeth Gilbert's books. You know, anyone who can teach me something, I'm there for it. Sign me up. Love it. The last question that I have is knowing what you know now, what kind of advice would you give to your younger self? I would give her a big hug Mm. and I would tell her not to be so worried not to be so stressed, not to try to control things so much because everything was going to work out amazingly because I wasn't brought up to believe that way. I wasn't a natural optimist. Uh, so I had to rework so much of my mindset. So if only I could have known that, sure, there were going to be some really hard times, but, you know, I made my own luck in many ways, but I'm very lucky and I'm very aware and grateful of being lucky. So you know, I think we, we put so much energy into things that never happen, into our fears, into, you know, stressing about things. So I would just tell her to exhale and relax. It's all going to work out really, really well. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And also thank you so much. I know you have a very full schedule and uh, for you to take the time to come on this podcast to share your wisdom with me and our amazing listeners around the world. I really, really appreciate it. And obviously we'll link to your TED Talk, to your amazing book. You are a true inspiration and I loved everything you shared today. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for, you know, spending this morning with me and thank you to everyone listening. You know, I really appreciate that you took the time to, you know, to connect today because that's for me what life's all about. And uh, it's great to connect with, with you, Christina. That was a great conversation. I appreciate it. And I think that, you know, having the courage to connect is really such a great antidote to fear because, you know, you can do way more when you have people in your corner than if you're going it alone. Yeah. So keep being brave, everybody. Oh, wow. How inspiring was that? Not sure about you, but I feel nothing is impossible now. I hope you are feeling the same. And if you want to hear more from her, well, who doesn't? Nadine is the superstar speaker for December in the Dream Life Coaching Program. And if you want to join, I will link to it in the show notes or just go to dreamlifestartshere.com. And if you happen to listen to this after December, we record all our speakers in the Dream Life Coaching Program. So if you wanted to join at any time, you can still hear from Nadine. And as always, I would love to hear what you thought of this episode and what you are going to take action on and implement in your own life. Please share in the Dream Life Podcast Facebook group. I will link to that as well in the show notes. Until next week, take care and don't forget to dream big.